This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hit! Browns are going to win! Mayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, Cover 2. This is Dan Kadar, joined as always by Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich. Nate, the season is just about here. Are you ready for football? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. I mean, it was a long training camp and preseason uh, you know, especially after there wasn't any of the uh, you know, preseason games last year and the sh- the training camp was condensed last year as well because of the pandemic. Uh, so it's kind of been, you know, a longer build-up period. So I'm definitely ready. Um, September hits and it really immediately started feeling like fall around here. So football <laughs> is definitely in the air, in my opinion. Yeah, it really is. We're recording our podcast today, uh, Friday morning. So I was up last night watching the Ohio State game. So I'm I'm full blown back in football mode. It really clicked for me last night. So I'm excited. So on today's podcast, we are going to be you know taking a look at the Browns roster. They they cut down to 53 players now. Um, they they have most of their practice squad filled out, and the, the season is you know just around the corner, obviously. So we're going to talk about how the Browns put together their roster, Nate's kind of big picture overview stuff on what happened in training camp, what he observed, and you know stuff like that. So Nate, let's just uh, let's just start with a bang. What was the the biggest most surprising roster development for you as the Browns got it down to 53. Well, it wasn't a complete surprise. I can't say that there was like a big shocking move, but Kaderil Hodge was the headliner for me, uh, hands down. I mean, this is a guy who entered last season as a number three receiver. Uh, was a special teams stalwart, as special teams coordinator Mike Prefer said recently. I mean, he was he was an ace for them, and you know, you can call him uh, a lot of things. You know, you can call him, um, you know, fourth, fifth receiver. You can kind of discount him as you know just a guy. You can do all that if you want, but in my opinion, he's the kind of guy that's on a really good team and very valuable for a really good team. And he was early in his career on a Super Bowl team. He was with the Los Angeles Rams um, and was a, a special teams ace for them, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl. And uh, he's developed as a receiver since then. And, you know, when you throw in the ball, he usually catches it. And he did it last year, all for first downs on his limited production. And then in the preseason, he did it again. Uh, caught touch, a touchdown pass in each of the last two games. You know, yeah, they, they tendered him as a restricted free agent in the offseason. So a lot of people point to the $2 million 
you know, and say, well, you don't want to pay a, a guy down the depth chart $2 million. Well, you know, the Browns aren't in cap trouble right now. It's a drop in the bucket. They could have if they wanted to. And they didn't. Um, you know, John Dorsey, yeah, he hired the wrong coach, but he knows talent. And he is with the Detroit Lions now, and they, they claimed Kaderil Hodge off waivers right away. So I think Kaderil Hodge is the poster boy for the concept that we have been trying to prepare people for. And that concept is the Browns are really good, better than they've been in a generation, harder to make this team than it has been in decades. And there's going to be some good football players they are not going to be able to keep around. I think he was the best one. I agree. And really, you could kind of see this coming, you know, when they drafted Anthony Schwartz in the third round, um, uh, you know, in this past draft. And to me, that's a little unfortunate. Maybe I'm, I'm saying that with just knowing that, quite frankly, we just haven't seen Anthony Schwartz really yet. We, we know he's fast, I guess, uh, but we honestly don't know anything else about him as a football player, what he's going to provide the Browns or, or anything like that. But I think the drafting of Schwartz was kind of the writing on the wall for Hodge, unless he just, you know, came out and blew things up in training camp in the preseason. And like you said, he did, he did pretty good, but just, just not good enough for the Browns to say, all right, we're going to carry – you know, another receiver. And the, the the next question I have on, on Hodge then, Nate, is did the play of, of Demetric Felton, the, the rookie from UCLA, did that have any impact, do you think, on what the Browns decided with Hodge? I don't think so. Um, I think mm-hmm. that Demetric Felton had the direct impact on JoJo Natson. Uh, because they concluded as a coaching staff that Demetric Felton could fill that dual return role that they they wanted somebody to have. And in the preseason finale, he had a 37-yard kickoff return, uh, only a, you know, a punt return for 11 yards. But he showed them that he could handle it in addition to everything else they've peeped on this guy's plate. He looks like a real steal as a six-round pick. Obviously, he hasn't played a down in a real game yet, but just the way he – Carried himself in training camp, vacillating between receiver and running back on a day-to-day basis and picking up the special teams responsibilities. The great thing for the Browns is they were able to cut JoJo Nats and, and bring him back to the practice squad. That is the definition of having your cake and eating it too. So really, when you look at all the guys that they were able to bring back to the practice squad, they're not missing a whole lot of you know, quality players that, that they had to, um, you know, release in, in the cut down to 53. Natson is a headliner on that list. I know your guy, Porter Gustin, I know, Dan, you would have liked him on the three, but listen, I mean, they mm-hmm. got him back on the practice squad. And you look at the practice squad rules in the COVID era. You can have 16 guys on the practice squad and you can elevate, you know, two of them, you know, up right up on the, basically to the eve of game day and, and, you know, put them on that roster. Um, you know, if there are any positive tests or anything like that, you can, ele- it, it, it can, it can be like a late ad and then you can also elevate them earlier. So Porter Gustin can still play for the Browns. Jojo Natson can still play for the Browns, you know, a decent amount. And you get to protect like four guys a week from being swooped off the practice squad. There is a little bit of window where that protection doesn't last. So 
there's some vulnerability there. That's kind of the, the risk of putting guys on the practice squad, but it's a nice way for teams to be able to expand the roster on game day to up to 55. And, uh, you know, there's some quality guys, I think, that were bubble guys. A lot of people, you know, might have thought we're going to make the team. Like we talked about Sheldon Day. We talked about, we just talked about Natson and Gustin. You know, these guys are on the practice squad, so the Browns didn't lose them. Elijah Lee, Johnny Stanton. I mean, these were guys mm-hmm. that, that we thought might make the team, and and here they are still part of the program. So that's a big deal we got we to gotta consider in all this. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that it was Felton uh, and Natson um, that, that had a relationship with each other and their, their status on the active roster. And then for, for Hodge, you know, when I did my predictions, I had Hodge and Ernest Johnson on the 53, but in talking to people, um, you know, after I turned that prediction in and just kind of like as everything was moving – I started to get a real sense that they it was going to be one or the other. So I think it was more of Ernest Johnson impacting Kadero Hodge and Felton impacting JoJo Natson. So obviously, Ernest Johnson stays on the roster, another special team stalwart and uh, the number three running back. Um, you know, in my perfect world of just keeping the, the best 53 players, both those guys should have been on the team. But there are obviously other considerations. You've got to have X amount of guys at certain positions and create your, your depth according to, you know, who plays what. It's not just purely the best 53, because if it were, Hodge would be on the team. Yeah, and I, I just can't say it enough. The NFL needs to increase their, their roster size from 53, even if it's to – to 56, I think that would make the game a little more, even more compelling, quite frankly, just the unique stuff you can do. But be that as it may, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the practice squad stuff because it's, I don't want to get too excited about a practice squad, but all the guys you mentioned at some point were guys that people thought, hey, there's a really good chance these players could make the roster, you know, day. Gustin, Natson, uh, we talked about Stanton a little bit. Yeah. Some people really love Curtis Weaver. I think Jordan Franks seemed to really develop as as the the off season wore on. The, type, the big big tight end. Yeah. Um, Marcus Bradley made a ton of plays in training camp. You know, again a loaded receiver. Mm-hmm. And we never thought he's going to make the team, but you have him in the program. Yeah, it's it's. It's a lot of interesting players, but of course, because the position he plays, I got to ask you, what are your thoughts on the Browns kind of taking Nick Mullins and picking him over Kyle Lalletta, who was with the team, you know, throughout the whole offseason? Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to have a quarterback in one of these 16 spots and it makes all the sense in the world when you got a guy in, in, in your as an offensive assistant and. T.C. McCartney, who was in San Francisco with Mullins and has intel on him, and Stefanski said that definitely played a role. They had an idea of what this guy was about behind the scenes. And obviously playing San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan, very similar offenses. So it made a lot of sense. Um, You know, Loletta obviously had a a good preseason uh, for the Browns. 
I think they would have liked to keep him around uh, for whatever reason. You know, the word came out when when he was getting waived that he wasn't going to be on that practice squad. Um, so not sure exactly which side ultimately made that decision. If that was a Laletta thing or Brown's thing or whatever, it seemed like a Laletta thing because, you know, long before the Browns announced the moves, that word had come out. So it seemed like something coming from his camp. And, you know, that may or may not have been related to what he was hearing about the Browns and bringing somebody else in like Mullins. So I, I'm just not sure the, the chronological order of, of that, but bottom line, yeah, you, you want to have a, a quarterback on the practice squad. You want to have a kicker on the practice squad and they do. We need to mention this. I mean, Chase McLaughlin, he became the only kicker on the roster after Cody Parkey you know, suffered that quadriceps injury in preseason game number two against the Giants. And Chase mm-hmm. McLaughlin had a good training camp. He had a good training camp, and he was about even with Cody Parkey. And I thought that a tie would 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 go to Parkey. That the, the Browns would, you know, pick the ex- more experienced guy if it were about even. And that's the way things looked. And then, you know, the quad injury comes up. They place Parky on IR, and then they wave him a day or two later uh, after reaching an injury settlement. So he can end up somewhere and play this season if, if he gets the leg right. Um, but they keep, they keep McLaughlin. He goes into uh, Atlanta in the preseason finale. Everybody says, including Mike Prever, this is a big game for him. So you think if he's perfect, especially in that indoor setting uh, where, where you don't have many excuses, then, you know, you're not going to have any doubts about him. And so they try him on a 57-yard field goal, okay? It was 57, not 56. TV had 56. The official game book had 57. <laughs> uh, this is a pet peeve, so I'm going to get that off my head. He hits the crossbar. He would have made it from 56, by the way, everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't hold that against him. You know, sure. that, even in an indoor setting, that's a hell of a kick uh, to, to expect a guy to make. But at the very end, the way he ended the preseason, he missed that extra point. I mean, as badly as you could, really. I mean, it was so far <laughs> right. So, um, you know, that was kind of a bad taste to leave it on. So then you're wondering, are they going to are they going to find somebody else, you know, um, Mm-hmm. This guy's bounced around, had like he's had like five teams. He's, you know, obviously a journeyman in the league. And Kevin Safansky after the game is not committal on him. After they do the cut down to 53, I say, What's your message in McLaughlin now that you know the, he's made the initial roster? And Safansky's like, I don't have any message for him. Just show up and work. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> oh boy. I, there's no vote of confidence. There's no, hey, you know, we you know, you know. We got your back. We got. We're gonna support you. We're gonna give you every opportunity to hang on to this. There's nothing like that. So you know something's coming, right? And sure enough, they signed a uh, a practice squad kicker who had been released by the Jets recently, Chris Nagar. And uh, what's interesting about him is he was with the Jets uh, as an undrafted rookie free agent, uh, and when they signed him in May. Who did they release? McLaughlin. So they've been connected together. 
And now McLaughlin's obviously the kicker, but if there is a slip up, um, they have him on the practice squad and they can summon him. And this is how it played out last year. Uh, Austin Seibert had a rough training camp. The Browns signed Cody Parkey to the practice squad. If you remember, Dan, Austin Seiber mm-hmm. had a disastrous week one, that opener in Baltimore. Yes. They lost 38-6. Yeah. And guess what? Parkey was right there on the practice squad to be promoted. And they waived Seibert after week one. Parkey was the kicker the rest, rest of the year. And now you have uh, a guy on the practice squad in uh, Chris Nagar. And, hey, will this play out this way again? I don't know. But Chase McLaughlin obviously knows that he's got to be at his best if if he doesn't want to, you know, relive that Austin Seibert, Cody Parkey scenario. Boy, I got to tell you, I'm a little concerned about the whole kicker thing. I mean, neither McLaughlin or Nagar, and I look, I don't know anything about him, but just the fact that the Browns are going into the season in the same fashion with uh, questions at best at kicker, to me is a little concerning. You know, like, to say say Chase McLaughlin's the guy. He doesn't know how to kick in First Energy Stadium in November and December. That, that to me, is concerning for, for a team where, you know, extra points and field goals are going to matter, potentially, in, in some big games down the stretch. You know, like, it, it, would, be, it would be so nice to have a sure thing at that position. I know kicking is very hard and there's really in the NFL, there's like three or four sure thing kickers, you know, like Justin Tucker, but man, I don't know. I, I am. If you ask me what my biggest concern about the Browns is going into the season, I would say kicker right now. I, I'm not confident in their plan at all at the position. Um, and sure, that does say something about where the Browns are, obviously. But I don't know, man. Chase McLaughlin in that last preseason game was was very concerning, is all. And just picking up another guy off the scrap heap, really. Eek. I don't know. I I don't know. I, I know the feeling is you don't draft kickers and punters, but geez. Bengals took a guy in the fifth round this year, Evan McPherson, out of Florida. He's he's looks like he's really good. Browns could have maybe looked at a kicker in the draft just to. I don't know. I, I'm just unexcited about where they're at with kicker. <laughs> is all. I mean, I'm totally with you. Your concerns are valid. These guys are not proven the NFL level, and and the stakes are high for this team because of the talent. Uh. You know, they have legitimate expectations and aspirations to go very far. Um, and the Super Bowl is not far-fetched. So when you have those ac- those kind of expectations and aspirations, you don't want to be losing because of a kicker. Um, and we know, Dan, no matter how good you are, the nature of this league, a lot of the games are tight and they come down to kicks. And I, so for those reasons, you're definitely right. I do want to just put a bow on this real quick and say, yeah, I'm talking about how important it is to have these practice squad guys at every position pretty much. And then definitely kicker and quarterback. Well, I need to just say it out loud. We're still in a pandemic and that's why it's so important, more important than ever. 
I mean, the Browns are well over 90% vaccination rate among their players, but with the Delta variant, as we know, even fully vaccinated people are testing positive for COVID. We've had at least two NFL coaches off the top of my head, head coaches, Frank Reich and uh, Walsh Jesuit's own Mike Rabel, fully vaccinated, test positive, and have to miss time with their team. So the days of players and coaches uh, missing games, uh, missing practices uh, because of COVID are far from gone, unfortunately. And this is uh, part of the reason why these practice squad players we're talking about, especially at positions like kicker and quarterback, where you don't have you know, a, a real death chart. You got, you know, two guys at quarterback right now for the Browns, obviously Chase McLaughlin, a kicker. That's why it's so important more than ever. Yeah. You don't want to run into a situation like Denver had last year where their whole quarterback room was not able to play in a game because of COVID stuff. So let me ask you this about the roster and we'll, we'll start closing up shop here on our training camp overview roster talk thing browns had eight picks in the draft this year i i don't think going into the draft if if we said the browns are going to take eight players and all eight are going to make the roster i don't think i would have believed you if you told me that what do you make of you know kind of all of these guys being on the roster i know it's tough to to not go with your draft guys but Eight is a lot of rookies for for a team that's supposed to be very good. What do you what do you think of the philosophy there? Yeah, it's interesting, Dan. Like to me, that goes back to the best fifty three players did not make the team. You know, like Carol Hodge, for instance, is a better player uh, than Tony Fields a second. Um, it's just impossible to know what Tony Fields will be. Uh, he missed virtually all of training camp he came back for like the last day the friday before the preseason finale he suffered two foot injuries was in walking boots and you know missed a lot of the spring practices uh the vast majority of those too fifth round pick i thought that they were gonna waive him um and the reason why is because i thought that they were going to be able to get him to the practice squad with all the injuries nobody's been able to see him uh, why would another team claim him off waivers when he's had these you know, injuries and not being able to practice like for almost the entire off season, like 98% of it. So it was interesting that they kept all their draft picks, especially him, a fifth round linebacker. You know, they like him as a JOK clone, a, a weak side developmental linebacker in Joe Wood's system. I get all that, but um, that one was interesting to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, they also kept all their draft picks from last year. Um, so it's, right. it's it's not just this class but two in a row. Obviously, it's a front office and, and a GM and Andrew Barry, very confident in the research, and they're all about player development. And they don't expect these guys to be close to finished products in the first couple of years. And you know they have this long term philosophy with with their draft picks and with player development. And so keeping them is is in line with that philosophy. Um, but when you do it that way, you are going to have to make sacrifices elsewhere. And again, we get back to the, the Kaderil Hodge conversation and, and guys like him, guys who aren't your guys, guys who aren't, you know, this regime's guys, but who are still proven um, and, you know, better players at this point, certainly than some of the guys that they kept. 
What do you make of Malik McDowell making the roster? I think that one kind of surprised some people. I, I think early on in, in training camp, to me, he looked like a outside of the the roster looking in kind of player. And we, we talked about in the middle of preseason, you know, Sheldon Day is looking pretty good. And then you have Malik McDowell making the team. What do you think of that? I mean, our, our colleague Marla Ridenauer wrote about him, his past, Brown's past with players with, you know, kind of questionable backgrounds a little bit and how McDowell maybe looks different. I, I think that's being hopeful. Um, what, what do you make of him making the team, though? Well, I, I think that it's something we have to talk about because the story of the roster cuts was really Hodge getting cut for everything we've laid out. McLaughlin sticking around. I mean, they could have gone with no kickers. They've done that before and just start <laughs> from scratch, you know? Sure. No one won this competition. We're just going to bring in a couple guys off waivers or, you know, sign a guy to practice squad, another guy off waivers, whatever. And then the third, like, big kind of um, – point or key point of the roster cutdown was was what you just said and Malik McDowell making the team just you know the story of Malik McDowell is remarkable right now and the fact that he was a hell of a defensive lineman at at Michigan State got drafted by the Seahawks early in the second round uh, 2017 first round talent by the way but there were some some off-field or character concerns or whatever at the time that ended up manifesting themselves, unfortunately. In the summer, he gets into an ATV accident, has a head injury, and then really just goes on kind of a, a, a downward spiral and commits a series of crimes. Um, and it's it's a long list and a lot of legal trouble, and he ends up in jail and never plays a down in the NFL because all this happened the summer after he was drafted. Lo and behold, all this time later, the Browns do a bunch of research on him they have him in. He meets with Stefanski and Barry and, uh, you know, their research and their vetting tells him that this guy deserves a second chance. It's been a long time and he's worked hard to turn his life around, um, you know, and here he comes into training camp. And you just don't know what to expect. But when you look at him, he looks like Calais Campbell. I mean, he's huge. I mean, he's not quite as tall, but he is massive. I'm used to seeing massive NFL players up close and not often phased by it at this point, but this guy stood out to me and everybody else who covers the team. He is the, you know, typical, you know, the saying first guy off the bus. I mean, he is a monster, uh, physical specimen. And so you're wondering, okay, well, that stands out right off the bat, but you know, <laughs> what, what, what else is going to happen? So, you know, he had an injury. I think it was a soft tissue injury. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. They never really disclosed it, but it, it seemed like something minor like that where he was kind of working off to the side like part of the spring. And then in training camp, he gets a rib injury and misses some time with that. But then later in camp and, and really exploded in the preseason game number two against the Giants, starts dominating the line of scrimmage. And then against the Falcons, I mean, he was bull rushing the center out of the stadium. It was it was pretty insane. Um, and all that havoc he creates, he, he ends up with one and a half sacks in the preseason, but creates plays for other guys on the line um, with what he's doing and how disruptive he is. And then, you know, when when I left, I'll give you some behind the scenes, Dan. I, I uh, And you know this, 
uh, but our listeners don't. You know, Saturday night in Atlanta, we're in the pandemic. In the pandemic, so I'm not going around Atlanta and you know living it up. And I'm in my hotel <laughs> room putting together a 53 man roster. <laughs> On my initial draft of the 53 man roster, I had the wrong day, but you helped me with that. But I also had Sheldon Day. I had Sheldon Day defensive tackle on the 53-man roster. Then yeah. I went and I covered the game. And when I saw Malik McDowell bull rush at center out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, <laughs> I mean, like he could have, like he would have, like <laughs> taken him to Florida if he if, if 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 he didn't just eventually bury the guy in the ground. When I saw that, I because the the 53 man predictions I was doing were, were posting the early the next morning I flipped them I put Malik McDowell on the roster I said there's just no way that they can get him to the practice squad cuz my theory was my working theory heading into that finale was with all his off-field baggage they're going to be able to wave him and put him on the practice squad cuz nobody else is going to claim this guy right but after he put what he put on film in two consecutive preseason games. I said, there's no way that they can risk it now and they have to keep them and they don't want anyone to reap the benefits of this project that they've undertaken. And that's exactly what happened. And then again, have your cake and eat it too. Very smart by Andrew Barry. He gets Sheldon Day back to the practice squad. So now you have both of them. Yeah. It, Andrew Barry deserves a round of applause, I think, for how he managed just about all of of the roster for the Cleveland Browns obviously I'm I'm complaining some about kicker but everything else it, it looks like you know some some really really strong moves some gambles paid off getting guys to the practice squad and the Browns as we go into the 2021 NFL season have what looks like one of the best rosters in the entire national football league so uh, Nate, do you have anything else for our, our podcast this week before we head out of here well i just wanted to say because um you know we didn't really wrap training camp and now yeah. that it's over i want to say well donovan peoples jones was the undisputed mvp uh <laughs> of training camp and i had said that earlier but now that we finished it it's official um in my mind it wasn't even close he stole the show he is a guy who looks like he can become a legitimate, you know, starting NFL wide receiver succession plan. And I've written that for the, for the Browns and whatever happens with the futures of Odell Beckham Jr. And Jarvis Landry, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones will be a factor. Uh, as long as he can stay healthy, he is on a, traje- a trajectory to be a real part of the equation uh, in that entire discussion, because he had a good rookie season in a COVID year and just came back in phenomenal shape and just never stopped uh, looking like a guy who's ready to take a big leap in this, in this training camp that just wrapped up. Um, so he gets the the top award defensively. Malik McDowell, obviously great story. He, he's somewhere in the honorable mentions for, for defensive camper uh, of the summer. Um, Jadavian Clowney also looked really good um, and was really stealing the show for there for about a week in, in some of his matchups with Jack Conklin, but then uh, missed a good chunk of time um, just sitting out um, maintenance stuff. Something was uh, was bothering him. He called it a strain. You know, he never specified or the, neither did the Browns exactly what it was. Um, so he's somewhere in the honorable mentions, too. 
but the guy to me on defense uh, who ended up being runner up for my defensive camper of the year is Mac Wilson had a really, really strong camp um, and, and would have been in strong neck and neck contention for the defensive MVP if he hadn't sprained a shoulder and, you know, he actually did, he sprained a shoulder uh, um, against the Giants, like, early in that. or No, maybe it was the preseason opener. I think it was the preseason opener. Well, either way, uh, you know, that kept him out of some team drills subsequently. Uh, but he kept practicing uh, in some capacity. Had a really good camp nonetheless. JOK, obviously, uh, stole the show in the preseason opener. Yeah, it was. That that's what happened. Mac sprained the shoulder preseason opener. JOK comes in and just yep. lights it up. Um, mm-hmm. but then he had a weird weightlifting accident. We still haven't gotten all the details, stitches in the forehead, and then he had to miss time in camp. So these are all honorable mention guys. I'm building up to the defensive MVP of training camp, John Johnson the third. Okay. This Ooh. is a blockbuster free agent acquisition, and he looks like he will be the Browns. 2021 version of Jack Conklin, meaning they signed Jack Conklin in 2020, their biggest free agent investment. He came in all pro, lived up to all the hype, lived up to the contract. John Johnson III now comes in at safety, and he looks like he is going to live up to the hype and live up to the contract and, and be every bit of the playmaker, communicator, defensive leader that Andrew Barry thought he would be when when uh, he you know did all the research on what Johnson was able to do with the Los Angeles Rams. So just a guy who's constantly around the ball. He said he doesn't even wear a mouthpiece because he loves to talk so much on the field. I think he's going to give the Browns defense uh, a, a much better chance to gel with all the new faces on it than it would have without him because I think he's a guy who can bring a lot of people together, get a lot of people on the same page with his communication, his leadership style on the field, and uh, also a playmaker. So he is a uh, defensive MVP at training camp, Donovan Peoples-Jones, offensive MVP, and and overall MVP. I love it. I'm very excited for, for John Johnson and hopefully for the, for the Browns secondary to kind of be, you know, shored up with him as kind of the, the linchpin of the whole thing back there. So that's good call on him. Good call on Donovan Peoples Jones and really good look at the roster for the Cleveland Browns. Like I said, this is a really talented group. So that is your, 2021 Cleveland Browns heading into the season next week on the podcast. We're going to do a season preview for the, for the Browns in the year for 2021. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll see what we get into uh, for that one. There's some interesting talking points for that too. So check that out. Make sure you're subscribed to us on, on Apple iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Check out our podcast stories that I post on the site. Uh, and make sure you check out all of our content. Really, it's at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. By the way, we have a sale right now, Labor Day. I believe it is $1 for six months. Can't go wrong with that. So if you could subscribe, that would be great. If not, I understand. So for that, that is going to do it for this edition of the Cover 2 Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.